0: Okay, so the general, if we were to give a short overview of the last couple of weeks... Okay, before we have any conversation, we're moving quickly out of the political realm. It takes a godly man to set a godly boundary. Alright, so if we were going to be people who set good boundaries, and we agreed that we have to invest in ourselves as much as we invest in the boundaries what's necessary. And I borrowed these. This is not a complete list, but there was actually a, a good blog that I, I looked these up from. Step, step up, lead, initiate, take action. So we talked about John before, and John could continue to seek to enforce a legitimate boundary, or he could just say, okay, if, if my family doesn't want to follow my lead, if my family doesn't want to do, have anything to do with this, I'll just go up and do what I want to do. So one of the commitments of a godly man is, I will continue to, in the right way, pursue establishing a healthy boundary. Now, and i got to tell you, this, can, this is not emotionally rewarding in the short run. To establish good boundaries during tough times can be very unrewarding for years. Right, so don't set yourself up with this scenario. Well, if I establish this boundary, there's going to be some pushback on week one, perhaps a little bit less pushback on week two. By the end of a month, everybody's going to see the wisdom in keeping this boundary that I've established, and they're going to fall madly in love with me and respect me as a great leader in the home or the workplace. That probably isn't going to happen. You're probably going to experience pushback... More than pushback, you might experience derogatory comments thrown your way for years in the process of maintaining a boundary. One of the qualities of a godly man is the ability to stand in the face of opposition and maintain control of the situation. That, that is not natural. Let's not delude ourselves into thinking that we are all the strong robust men that we think we are that are willing to stake a put a stake in the ground and stand for this thing, typically no. If we don't get success quickly, we're likely to drift and move off course. Alright, number two, speak out, silence in the presence of what is wrong is wrong itself. This is another big issue. But let's put it this way, the longer you allow what is wrong to exist, the more difficult it is going to be to do something later. You can turn a blind eye on day one. You can turn a blind eye for the first month. If you continue to allow something to persist that you know is wrong, what are you teaching those people on the other side of that boundary? Not only that they can get away with, but it's probably right. If they actually trust you and you don't do anything about it, what is their trust in you allowing them to conclude? This is the way it's done. This is okay. We talked about that even with something as simple, and I think it was Jim who introduced it, as showing up for work on time. If you have allowed in your home, let's say, your children to not perform in a timely way, your example about we need to be ready by X time in the morning. Thanks. If you allow that that rule to be flaunted, Over a period of years, they're going to assume that no boundary that an employer places in the workplace has any meaning. They're going to be disrespectful of other people's time throughout the entirety of their lives. The longer you allow the wrong thing to exist, the harder it is to eradicate it. So in
1: that situation, we had let that go on for a while, and I had to finally come and end up with know. Humble myself to the children and my wife and say, you know what, I take responsibility for this. I've let this, the total of our household change for the past six months since we moved here. Yelling and everything else. And I think, yeah, what we want is peace. I take responsibility for this. But here's why we're going to set this boundary and start for our day right.
0: Alright, now, while I wouldn't recommend the double lockbox thing from before, there was a good, there was a good piece of, of wisdom. Take some responsibility for something. And, and remember, responsibility is not the same as fault. Let's be very clear about that. He didn't say, this is all my fault. A great boundary maker is one who says, okay, it might not be my fault, but it's my responsibility to do something moving forward. One of the attributes of a godly man is a man who does not shirk responsibility. All right, number 3, stand strong, don't simply give up or give in. We've talked about that. Remain humble. There are times when you might have to roll back a policy that you implement. At work, at home, I thought this would be the right thing to do. Here, here, let's put this to the test. Let's put it to the test politically, again, because it's so obvious, it's so apparent, in the last 20 years, how many times have you seen any national leader come on television and say, I made a mistake, I was wrong, I accept responsibility for this, and we're going to move in a different direction? Do you understand the question? How many times have you seen that happen? It does not happen often, does it? Now here's the remarkable thing. What do we all know about humans? They're flawed, they make mistakes, they mess up. Don't you know that to be true about your wife? Don't you know that to be true about you? Don't you know that to be true about everybody that you know, that they make mistakes at times, even when they have the best of intentions in mind? What does it say to us about a national leader who's never wrong? Do we really believe that he's never wrong? Of course not. What are we looking for?
1: Him to fall. Him to fall.
0: Well, we're hoping once in a while for somebody to say, "I thought this was the right direction to go. It doesn't appear to be the right direction. I own the responsibility for this. I'd like to go in a different direction."
1: Just, sure.
0: We never see that nationally. Interestingly enough, our national leaders model what what our public atmosphere is, right? Think about that. Do we have a spirit of confrontation, generally speaking, in this country today that hasn't existed for a while yet? Where do you suppose that starts? people who are never willing to acknowledge I was wrong or I made a mistake or at least I didn't read the situation correctly and perhaps we need to go in a different direction. Now do you suppose that people will give more or less grace to people who publicly acknowledge I made a mistake? I think so, right? In general we are likely to give some grace to people who are willing to acknowledge their fault. How much grace do you give to the guy who never admits he's wrong? You just dig in your heels on your side all the more. Alright, point number five, serve the king. Every relationship that you manage, every situation that you are responsible for setting boundaries in, is an opportunity for you to bring a slice of the kingdom of heaven down here to earth. Every single one. So the question that any boundary maker and any boundary maintainer needs to ask is, is this slice of the world that is under my stewardship today helping this world to look more like the kingdom of heaven would or less like the kingdom of heaven would? If if my family looks this way under my stewardship, does it feel more like I expect the kingdom of heaven might or less like I expect it? Or my work environment? Or my marriage? Whatever it is. So it's just one benchmark that we can use. All right, I know most of you are anxious to get out there and do mulching, so uh, <laughs> they're doing a pretty good job out there. Do you think if we milk this out for a while, we can
1: get...
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll take them? A... No, that would really be an insult. and then go back inside, huh? All right. We'll try to wrap this up fairly quickly so for those of you who are anxious to get out there and do mulching, you can. Here's the next premise that I want to introduce. That if there's anything worse than no boundary, it's an unpredictable boundary. And for you to be a good boundary maker and maintainer, you yourself need to be a stable individual. And so to take this into a different realm so that we can appreciate it, Take a look at these qualities, middle of the back side of your first page. It takes a steady man to set a steady boundary. Dependability, continuity, reliability, stability, predictability. Is there one of those qualities that you would say doesn't apply to God? Now we don't have three weeks to do a, a scriptural study on the attributes of God and the, the, and the ones that would most point to this. Would you say God is, will say, dependable? Do you have any past experience with that? Okay, so you assume that God is dependable. Does God have a continuity about Him? That is, could you expect the same thing from God tomorrow as you expected yesterday? Could you expect the same thing in your next interaction with God that you expected in your last interaction with God, generally speaking?
1: his presence but not
0: necessarily his methods his methods what about remember what we said there's a difference between the boundary and the boundary maker can you set a different boundary today than you did yesterday but with the same intention in mind you'll set a different boundary with your kids five years from now for certain things than you do right now is the heart of your fathering aspirations the same yes you want the same thing for your kids your long term goals are the same the methods you use week over week might be different so, we're talking about character qualities here. We're not talking about the boundary qualities yet. If I am not stable, predictable, reliable, if I am not consistent in what I hope for, then the boundaries that I establish are going to be exactly like that. Have you ever dealt with someone that's erratic? Have you ever had a boss that's erratic, unpredictable? One way, one day there are this, and, and then you go in there, and you think, you know what? I'm going to spend all week prepping for this because my boss said this is important. And you go in there the next week and it's like you're ready. And there's a whole different set of priorities. There's, there's something else that's become the new, the new thing of the week. And so you thought, I mean, maybe, maybe, okay, so let's make it practical. Safety in the workplace, okay? So safety is everything. Somebody got wounded, right? Somebody got hurt. So safety is everything. And so now for the next week, you make sure that everything in your workspace, and your workplace is safe. And then your boss walks by and says, what are you doing? We can't take time from production for you to work safely like that. Because what's the new priority? Making more money, being more productive. And when safety and productivity clash, then productivity is all of a sudden more important. So what I'm saying is in anything that you do with your children don't minimize the value of predictability. Anything that you do in a a husband and wife relationship don't minimize the value of predictability. People want to know that you are going to be the same tomorrow as you were yesterday. This is especially true when it comes to enforcing the boundary. What kind of enforcer are you? Okay, so good guy comes out to build the boundary, right? He wears his best good guy uniform, he's got the hat on, he builds the boundary, and he tells everybody how the boundary is going to be great for everybody. And everybody else knows that's not entirely true, but good guy builds the boundary. Who shows up when somebody crosses the boundary? So you used methodology that seemed to be moderate. If you don't respect this boundary, here are the consequences that are going to fall on you. I'm telling you in advance these are the consequences that are going to fall on you. And then when they didn't respect the boundary, what happened? Well, A, I I'm
1: not to cushion. And the reason I picked the time that I picked in was, you know, I know on Thursday evening my daughter's involved in this advanced choir and she you know, gets home late, gets to bed late. It's okay, right? It's the effort. Most of the time, my son will be... I- I'm coming! I know! I got two more minutes! Like, if, if there's something going on, if there's a minute... I look for the effort. I look, are they trying to be part of the team? It's okay. I, I, you know, the boundary doesn't have to be... I'm not standing there with a stopwatch. I wake them at 6.30. My wife gives them their second wake-up call at 6.45. If you're not downstairs... You know, they, they have time. They get one time reminder and that's it. And it's just, you know, again, they're 11 and 12, right? So they're, they're still sure. young. But it's, are you moving in the right direction? If you're blatantly ignoring me, then I may be a little further in the, in the response.
0: I think it's necessary that the same person who shows up to build the boundary needs to appear when it t- comes time to enforce the boundary. So if you're measured and reasoned and communicate well when it comes to establishing the boundary and later on you're either a monster when it comes to maintaining the boundary or you just shrink back and ignore it you've not been consistent. You were one way when you established the boundary you're a completely different way when it comes to enforcing the boundary. And This is where Godly qualities matter, honestly, because I think all of us find it easier to just blow up. You know, it's either it's easier, far easier for me to confront you in anger. Anger is just fuel, man. It, it it overcomes everything. I don't want to have this confrontational conversation with you. It's much easier to have the conversation if I just steamroller over you because I'm angry. But on the other hand, if I come to you humbly and say you've you've cross the line. I can't deal with this in this way anymore. It's much more difficult. Because now I'm down at the same level as you and we're having to have a person-to-person conversation and relationship. Which is, after all, what we said boundaries are to begin with. Boundaries are the means by which we have reasonable relationships with other human beings. And the goal of why you
1: built the boundary. right? I mean, the boundary was not meant so that, you know, they were downstairs at 715, the boundary was meant so that we could have peace in the house
0: right and that and so that is important that the uh, again it's one of those principles we talked about last week it's important that everybody understand why the boundary was put there to begin with so that you have a great explanation for it later on you weren't just arbitrarily pulling things out of thin air and saying well we're going to do this at this time maybe it was 715 for a reason. But it was mostly it was about teaching punctuality, restoring some harmony to the house, whatever it was. And you have a list of here are the goals and this is the method we're going to use to try to establish that. Alright, any other conversation before we move on? Okay, we're going to look at one Scripture verse and then I'm going to get you out of here. So let's just go over to Second Peter. Incidentally, for each of the five attributes that we looked at on the bottom of page 1, there are Scripture verses on page 3 under the end notes thing that you can follow up with if you want to do that. Alright, before we actually get into this one text from Second Peter, does anybody else have any comments or questions? You've been silent over there. What's up with that? Okay.
1: There's a saying we have in recovery, it says, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. There are organizations in town here who work with homeless people but the homeless people don't trust them. And Vicki and I get called in because our heart is is ministering with the people, building relationships before anything, before we can help. We need to know who you are and we want to genuinely know who you are. And we're... It gives us the ability to have healthy boundaries, but also to help them build their own healthy boundaries instead of me trying to, you know, we use the term steamroll because it implies authority or power or something else, versus building relationships that give us opportunity to speak to somebody in a meaningful way. All
0: right, right. Second Peter, we'll start at the third verse. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Alright, so I guess a little bit of explanation is necessary here. So Peter is talking to people who are believers. God has established boundaries. Those boundaries make relationship between God and men possible. Peter's acknowledging something up front. Men have breached the boundary. Men have not always respected the boundaries. So, what are some of the boundaries that God has established that facilitate good relationship with Him? Okay. What are some of the things that can break fellowship with God? Then. Okay. So, what are some of the other things? Well, let's look at let's look at some of the obvious things. Well, that was that was very much like a snake would say, "Sin, sin." Good, good. But you get the role of the serpent when we cast the Garden of Eden thing again. Good, very good. Okay, so anything that falls under the category of sin becomes a breach of relationship. So that's kind of what Peter has in mind. There's a number of things that people have done that have violated the territorial boundaries that have made it possible for God and men not to exist in good fellowship with each other. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So he's saying these things are going to facilitate the restoration of relationship by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So the promises relate to the divine nature. So what is the divine nature? Incidentally, if you thought Paul was confusing sometimes, Peter must have learned how to write confusing verse from Paul, because none of them seems to know how to punctuate very well. So we'll read this from the beginning again because this is one of these things, you just got to break it down. There is so much good stuff in here. But if you don't break it down, you don't see it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So where does it start? His divine power. power. That means God saw a problem and He didn't just sit by and do nothing about it. It relates right to quality number one that we talked about in a godly man. If you see a problem, you're going to act. What, what are God's potential other responses? What could God have chosen to do? There's no relationship between God and men. Men have violated the contract, we'll say, the covenant that facilitates relationship with Him. What could God have done? Destroy man. What else?
1: Good
0: luck. Good luck. I hope it works out well for you. See you in another universe. Okay.
1: Turn us over to the evil desires of our heart.
0: Well, he does that sometimes, doesn't he? But with an end in mind. Yeah. Which is kind of a different way of saying good luck. Okay, so God had multiple options. Let's not discount that. If we want to be godly men, it's going to call on us to exert what we feel is effort toward the best interest of those around us, not to just turn our back on them. But his divine power makes that possible. Let's look at this in terms of our own human boundaries. Do you have any authority, any influence, any power, any resources that you can bring to bear on the fractured relationships or the establishment of good boundaries? Do you have anything to bring to the table? Nothing? Well, sure you do. You're the dad in the house. Whose house is it? It's not the kid's house. Right? You have resources to bring to the table if you would like to live under this roof. There are certain things that you will do. You have money, I assume. Yeah, you have a lot of resources. You have resources to bring to the problem. What are the resources that you have to bring to this boundary building and maintaining? You need to know them. You need to identify them. All right, They pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of Him. That's the next thing. You have to introduce yourself to the people that you're going to have boundary with. You have to let them get to know you. Even though it might be over their heads at a level that you hope they can understand, have you shared with them your heart for why you want to establish certain boundaries? In the long run, here's what I'm hoping to do. Here's what your mom and I are hoping to do. In the workplace, these are the business goals that we have. Here's what we're hoping to accomplish. I realize I'm asking some pretty tough things of you this week, but your performance matters because here's what we all hope to accomplish. Do they Have they been communicated to at a level that they can understand? Let's read on. "...who has called us to His own glory and excellence." What do you take away from that? So the God let's let's review. God has divine power. He chooses to use that divine power to act in our behalf. He had other options. He chose to act on our behalf. Point number 2, he's introduced to us the way that he would like us to live and he has shared with us some of the objectives for why he wants us to live that way. He hasn't kept us in the dark. And he has called us to his own glory and excellence. What does that mean? In terms of boundary setting, it means he set a good example. We can find something attractive in the way God is and God demonstrates himself to be that we would want to be like that. How many of you would like to be in fellowship with an erratic, unpredictable, and cruel God? How many of you think that sounds like fun? This is not a trick question. No. So there is something in his glory and excellence that we would find attractive. I know this is kind of a cheesy statement, but would your kids want to grow up to be like you? And <laughs> in, in you said you hope not? No, I think they would want to grow up to be a little like you. I mean, first off, wouldn't that give you some goals?
1: A well, little, maybe. Just
0: not well, I, look, they don't need to be as ugly as you, but they could have the character that you have. Right? I mean... You don't want your daughter to grow a beard. I get that, but...
1: You should let her grow a beard. Just to prove mind.
0: So, come back to the question again. Does your life give any testimony to the fact that the boundary that you're asking people to abide by is producing good fruit in your own life? That's an important question by which he has granted to us his precious and very granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. All right, so consistently and these promises incidentally this is Peter pointing to the fact that for generations, for millennia, God has been saying this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. How hard is it for you to keep a promise if you make the promise today and it might take you 3 years to fulfill it? Boy, there's a lot of temptation that could occur in the meantime, isn't there? Think about this with me for just a second. God made a promise way back in Genesis about a plan for redemption that Peter points to and is saying, and all throughout the intervening years, God has reaffirmed that promise, and now that promise is being made good on. How good a promise maker are you and I when the promises that we make... Make might take years or even decades to fulfill. And what are the temptations that we're likely to be drawn away by? I think God could have made a promise back in Genesis after the fall in the garden, he could have made a promise, and then later on thought better of it. I have other options. I could create different people, I could create another universe, I could just abandon them. But he chose to live up to his promise. Now, what does that say about God's character? It's dependable. It's reliable. If we wish to be godly men, we need to be dependable and reliable. That means that our yes today is going to mean yes tomorrow and yes the day after. It doesn't mean that the methods are always going to be the same, just in case somebody wants to push back. We've already covered that. But the commitment to an end objective needs to remain the same. And it's for us to become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So what's corruption? What does corruption look like in humanity? Okay, those are, those are manifestations of corruption. Those are temporary outworkings of corruption. What is the ultimate thing? Okay, so you have a zucchini on the shelf. And the zucchini sits there for a week looks pretty green on the outside. It sits there for two weeks. Zucchinis have a pretty long shelf life, I think. It sits there for a month. Is there a degree of corruption that's taking place in that zucchini? It's deteriorating. deteriorating. And that's an illustration of what Peter is talking about. The kind of corruption that he's referring to is gradually your sinful desires are rotting you out from the inside your sinful desires are ultimately taking you to the place that you're headed anyway and apart from the imparting by God of some eternality to you, your corrupt nature, what you do is only revealing the fact that you are a rotting zucchini and one day you're no longer going to be a zucchini that was a bad illustration but you can. so what you talk about today? well Glenn said we're all rotting zucchinis Okay, everything that he says from verse 5 on is the result of having been granted the opportunity to escape this corruption. So if I want to live in a way that escapes the corruption, here's what I need to do. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So the faith is the thing that brought you into relationship with God. Your trust in what God promised to do for you through Christ, your faith is what brings the relationship. Here's the question now. These are the things that we do to become boundary keepers. Do you want to remain in the relationship that's been established for you? Do you want to keep what God has provided for you through Christ? If so, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, which is more? It's a desire to be good. It is a desire to do good, to be good, to strive for good. Okay, so that's the desire. you're shaking your head. Do you have a, a snaky hiss coming out, or something you'd like to add? It's
1: like, it isn't just different.
0: It's different. Well, of course it is. He's not asking you to be good yet. He's asking you to have the desire to be good. That's different. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So now we get into, if I were going to want to be virtuous, I'd have to learn how to be virtuous. Do you know how to sin? Well, heck yeah. Okay? Have you practiced sinning over the years so you've perfected it in certain ways? Well, heck yes. So you've become a master of sinning in certain ways. Do you want to be virtuous? Well, then you're going to need to learn how and you're going to need to practice it in the same way as you've become a master of sin because you learned how and you practiced it extensively. Are you okay? You look confused there.
1: No, I'm thinking of application.
0: Okay, I'm going to back up again because I don't seem to be able to find my place. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Okay, now comes the next part. So I know how to live virtuously. In other words, the theory, do this. What stands in the way next? This is the right way to go, but I want to go over this way. Self control is the process of molding your behavior to what you already know to do. Incidentally, self control is when it, when you and I think of the word self control, what do we think of usually?
1: Not being able to do something.
0: That's it. Don't do that. But self control is just as much a process of do that. Self control is not only don't slice off three slices of chocolate cake at 11 o'clock at night and eat it because that would be bad for you. Self control is also get your butt to the gym in the morning. See, it works both ways. It's give up the bad, but it's also do the good. If you give up the bad but don't do the good, what are you? You're nothing, you're a vacuum. You've abandoned what you used to do, but you haven't started to pursue what you should do. <clears throat> All right. Self control and self control with steadfastness. Ah, so here it is. What does steadfastness look like? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll continue on with the chocolate cake and the gym illustration since it's saved. Steadfastness is not succumbing two weeks later to the chocolate cake. Steadfastness is saying, I'm not going to be erratic in my commitment to go to the gym. Steadfastness is, I'm going to make a commitment to enforce these rules or these boundaries in my kids' lives regularly. I'm not going to make a big... Haven't we all met people who are gung-ho about enforcing something, some new policy for a month, and then all of a sudden it all goes away? It's hard work to maintain discipline, to maintain boundaries. It's really hard work. It's exhausting. And so most people tend to give up on it. What's the goal? The goal is virtue. The goal is the kind of virtue that maintains fellowship with God. Do we want that? Yes. If we want that, then we have to learn how. We have to start to act and discipline ourselves to behave that way and we have to do it consistently because here's what everyone gets frustrated with have you ever done the right thing for just long enough to find out it's not fun but not long enough to experience the good results that would come from it and what happens at that point I've done something just long enough to know it's not easy to do it and it's no fun to do it but not long enough to experience the results of it and so what do we do of course we do, which is why every gym is filled in January and empty in April.
1: In April come July, they were thinking, "Man, I wish I would have stayed there <laughs>
0: for what <I> now." <laughs> Incidentally, just. The gym is an illustration, okay? You need to make your own application. I'm not beating everybody up about their gym attendance or the lack thereof or or their fitness plan or the lack thereof. I don't care if you're unfit and out of shape. There.
1: I was ready to get to the gym. Huh? I was ready to get to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) Now I
0: don't have to. (laughs) I think I'm going to call your bluff on that. That's what I think. Okay knowledge and knowledge, self-control and self-control, steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Alright, let's just park on the brotherly affection for a moment. Have you ever met anybody who's righteous but no fun to be around? Have you ever met somebody who's righteous but uptight? Who's have you ever met anybody who's always finding fault with other people? They're trying hard. They're really working hard to live the good life themselves, but they're just no fun to be around. And they offer you no grace? One of the things that happens when people really take this stuff seriously is they discover how hard it is and how easy it is to fail and how easy it is to fall. And they start to demonstrate more mercy and compassion toward other people. And not only mercy and compassion, but here, let's do this together.
1: Wouldn't that be a different standing?
0: Oh, it would be. It would be. That's a good that's a good point. Yes. So, let's stop and ask this question. Who are you helping along the way to set better boundaries? This would be the mark of brotherly affection. Who are you inviting into your life? Who has invited you into their life and said, let's do this together. I'm not doing it real well myself. I think I could do it better. But boy, it would sure be easier if we had some people that we could talk this through because I'm not experiencing success some days. How do we do this? Do you have any tips that could help me? Maybe I've got a few pointers that could help you. And we're fellowshipping with each other at a point where we can help each other to excel. Now, the, the different aspect of that could be We just both give up and we sink down into the mire together. We have fellowship in defeatism. Alright, we're just about done here. Brotherly affection with love. Alright, now, love when it's used that way, it's interesting. So he moves from brotherly affection to love. And at first blush you would think, well, they're kind of the same. But they're not really. When you understand what he's implying when he talks about love. Because love, what's our definition of love? We use it here all the time, what's our definition of love? Somebody, anybody. Okay, the active and intentional commitment to the best interest of another human being. Sooner or later, somebody's just going to be able to spit that whole thing out. The active and intentional commitment to the best interest of another human being. That's love. Can I demonstrate love toward people I don't like? Based on that definition. Sure I can. There's plenty of people I don't like. Well that sounds bad. Actually it's true too. There's there's plenty of people I don't like. But I can still be committed to their best interest. I wouldn't choose to hang out with them. But I can still be committed to their best interest. And so this is the final test. Can I actually be committed to the best interest of people that at this moment are people I don't even like? Now when it comes to setting boundaries, is there anybody in your life right now that you actually don't like?
1: Isn't that showing grace though? I do with that? Sure it is. Yeah.
0: That might be the final The final quality of a great boundary maker. Your commitment to the other person, even if at that moment they're not very likable. Your commitment to the process of helping them to become somebody that God hopes for them to be, even if at that moment they're being unlovable, unlikable, just unreasonable and difficult. And everybody can probably put a face to that person right now. That's it. That's the end game for all of us if we want to be great.